0: Landmine Radio, Landmine Radio, high energy, no filter, oh yeah. This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Guido's Pizza. Located on International Airport Road in Anchorage, Guido's has been serving the best pizza, pasta, sandwiches, and more since 1984. Guido's is open daily for dine-in service from 11 a.m. to midnight, and they do takeout and delivery until 2 a.m. Whether I'm dining in a Guido's, ordering for delivery, the hardest part for me is always choosing what to get because they have so many amazing items on their menu. If you're looking for a quick bite or want to order food for a big party, Guido's is the place to go. Tell them Jeff from the Landmine sent you. Okay, back here in studio with uh, Dr. Daniel Volan. Indeed. You don't look like a doctor. You look too young to be a doctor. I mean, how old are
1: you? I am 39. I turned 30. I'm turning 39 on December
0: 23rd. I'm December 21st. We're basically same age. I'll that. be thirty nine. I love that. So, okay, you're on the Anchored Assembly. We're going to talk about that. But you're also an eye doctor. I am, and um, you're you're my eye doctor. I. It's true. Growing up, my dad was Navy, twenty five years. So I got in this habit of like every year you get like a physical and you get your eyes examined. And um, and I used to go to this lady here. I didn't really go that much. Korean, I think she was Korean or Chinese. I forget her name. Hmm. But then I, I don't know. I didn't really go for a while. And then. I was like, I better get my, my eyes checked. And I go, oh, shit, D- Dr. Daniel Voland. I'm going to go to Ursa Optical.
1: Downtown, baby.
0: So you bought you bought the Ursa. Now, the guy you bought it from was also on the assembly, right? He was,
1: Dr. Bill Faulkner, just a legend of a guy, um, true gentleman. Um, he was in that location for, I believe, 32, 34 years.
0: Now, I just had my dentist on here. It's funny. You're going to be, um, there's a few other ones in between, but Dr. Uh, Har, family first. And we're talking to him about how a lot of people just don't go to the dentist. Um I feel like a lot of people don't get their eyes checked.
1: It's true. You should have an annual eye exam.
0: And that, that's what growing up, my dad, we used to get the, you know, the, and that's when I realized when I was quite young that I was colorblind. And I was hoping that would go away, but you've uh, proven to me that I'm still quite colorblind. Sadly, yes. Now, is it true that only kind of men are colorblind?
1: Uh, more frequently men, yep.
0: But women women can be, but it's, I heard, not, right. as, not as common. Right. right. So, women can have
1: color deficiency.
0: So... When I say colorblind, I think people, that's a misnomer. I mean, I see colors. I just can't yeah. see the fucking Certain numbers shapes. in the circles. Like, you know, it's, I'll see like 65 and they're like, no, it's 12. Right. Or, or I'll see nothing. Right. So, I mean, you still see like, is, would there be a way for a colorblind person to put some something on to see how everybody, like how much different do I see, you know, than like you?
1: You know, it's difficult because there are some products on the market that purport to allow colorblind people to see, um, more shades or hues, uh, how, how that's measured objectively. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure. So are they really seeing what, what, um, a person who, who is not color deficient is seeing? I don't know, but from the react, you know, you watch these YouTube videos, people put these chroma pop glasses on.
0: Oh, they're like crying. Yeah. I've, yeah. Se- I've seen, I've seen those. I mean, I think some people can have a more extreme case of Right. Color, color vision problems. Right. So, okay, so if, if people don't come in for a long time and they get their eyes checked, um, how often do you see that where it's like, Jesus, you need glasses. Like they've been seeing, they've been just kind of forever seeing, you know, without glasses and they think that's how I see, but then you put maybe put the glasses on and they're like, wow, this is great.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say that happens very often. It's really fun when it does, when I can really improve someone's vision. In fact, I just had, um, there was a, an elderly man, who, who came in and he was seeing 2,200 out of his right eye. And I, th- I want to say like 20, 70, 20, 80 out of his left eye.
0: What does that mean? So, so 2020 is like kind of the the, the ideal, right? Right. So he's, he's uh, <clears throat> 10 times worse than the ideal.
1: Correct. Like could maybe see the big E at the top of the chart. And the reason was he had, had very, um, his cataracts were, were very dense and hypermature and I referred him for, for for cataract surgery, and he came back seeing 2020 in that eye. And oh I think, wow! 2030 in the left eye because he had a history of um, amblyopia in the left eye. What's
0: amblyopia? And
1: amblyopia is like a lazy eye. You just can't see out of there, uh, the, uh, like a Forrest Whitaker. I don't know. If, I don't know Forrest Whitaker. I'm not his eye doctor.
0: He has something with like what the kind of droops a little bit. I don't know. Maybe it's not. There's a term for it actually. It starts with a P, maybe? Or oh, T. the actor. Yes.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking, is it someone in Alaska politics that I'm not familiar No, Forrest right? Whitaker, the right, actor. Yeah, the, the guy, yeah. He's got um, that
0: little eye thing. He's got a ptosis thing going the, on. Yeah, ptosis. Yeah. yeah, I knew it was something with a P or T. Yeah. What's that about? Um, You know,
1: probably the, the levator muscle of the eyelid is just for whatever reason. Um,
0: no, what I, I read right? you can get that fixed, but he didn't want. He's like, kind of, that's his signature.
1: There's surgeries you can do. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it gives him a more uh, dramatic look. I That's
0: funny. It. You're like, you think it's like some Alaskan person I'm referring to. You're right. Like, I get. <laughs> well, there's so
1: many forests
0: these days. There there's Forrest McDonald. There's Forrest Dunbar. There's Forrest Wolf. Wolf. Mm-hmm. There's Forrest Neighbors. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's like a UA professor guy. He kind of I don't know if I know him. political things sometimes. Very, very uh, one of those free market, very free market guy. So okay, um. But also going to ask you about the eye stuff. So, okay, so you bought Ursa Optical. You I you can't. went to, obviously, went to medical. You're an optometrist.
1: I went to optometry school. So, I uh, my undergrad was in biology and then went to optometry school. Uh, you get a, a four year uh, doctorate degree. It's called an OD instead of an MD.
0: Now, op- ophthalmo- now what's the other one with ophthalmology? That, that's when they get in there with the surgery, yeah. Huh? Yep.
1: Ophthalmology does everything that I do plus surgery. So, as an optometrist, I not only treat vision, you know, prescribe. Contact lenses, glasses, but I also treat uh, things like eye infections. I can prescribe topical medications, oral medications. I can remove foreign bodies from someone's cornea. Uh, can monitor and treat glaucoma and other ocular diseases.
0: Now you told me that this is the craziest thing: people can actually full-on get stabbed in the eye with an f- object and not go blind.
1: It can happen. It, you know, it depends on on. Uh, how quickly it's dealt with um, and you know, the the retina stays attached. And that is an example of when I would probably refer to an ophthalmologist.
0: I've seen these like, you know, things on YouTube or whatever, somebody gets like really hurt and then they're like, mm-hmm. they're like totally with it. And then they, you know, they get the cert, whatever happens and they can still see, which to me is pretty, the eye is pretty, it's an amazing thing, yeah, isn't it? The it eye is
1: more resilient um, than people give it credit for. You know, the eye is so sensitive. You have thousands of nerve endings in the cornea, right? So when you touch your eye, it can really hurt. Um, but simultaneously, the corneal epithelium is one of the places in the body that repairs itself the quickest. So yeah, the, the eye is pretty resilient.
0: So why did you, did you like know you wanted to be an eye doctor when you were younger? Like what, did what, what the, how'd the eye doctor thing come about?
1: I did a job shadow, uh, as part of a, a senior project in high school. And I, I job shadowed a pediatrician, which was really fun. I was kind of looking for, you know, what did I want to do? Um, and you
0: uh, grew up in um, Ce- Seattle or Federal
1: Way area. Okay. Still so kind of half, halfway between Seattle and Tacoma, um, suburb for, for both, kind of a bedroom community for both Seattle and Tacoma. Um, but, yeah, I did a job shadow for a pediatrician, realized, okay, maybe I'm interested in the medical field. I knew – I really like kids and, and working with kids. We see kids in the um, – in, in my clinic, but I knew I didn't want to exclusively interact just with children all day long. Um, so my mom suggested, well, why don't you job shadow your optometrist? I'm very nearsighted. In fact, in my class, my optometry class of 95 people, I was the, the second most nearsighted
0: do you have uh, contacts right now. I do. Yes. So wait, so whether it's nearsighted and far, what, what is nearsighted? Nearsighted
1: That's... means you're sighted for near, so you can see up close, but you have a hard time seeing far away
0: and farsighted is
1: opposite. Correct.
0: What about st- I think I have a slight stigmatism, I believe. What what is what's that about?
1: Yep, astigmatism defocuses your vision no matter where you're looking, far away or up close. It has to do with the cur- the curvatures of the cornea and also the shape of the intraocular lens. But if you're not corrected for astigmatism, it just makes everything blurry and kind of distorts your uh, your depth perception. Quick
0: quick bit. quick aside here is this this surgery now people are getting where they claim like oh my god it's amazing is that real I mean people I know people that have gotten these what do they call it the uh, laser or LASIK is that
1: there's a number of surgical options, um, refractive surgical options. You know, there's LASIK, there's PRK, there's refractive lens exchange where they actually take the, the inner lens out and replace it. Um, you know, for a certain subset of the population who have, you know, who meet certain criteria, those surgeries can be great. There is a risk of side effects like significant dry eye, um, halos and glare around light. So I, don't, I it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all, but, Ooh. I, you know, in, in my, uh, you know, let's see, a little bit over 10 years of practicing, um, I've had patients that um, I've referred for surgery at their request who have loved their outcome, and I would say that's probably the majority. Then I've had patients that have said, oh, I don't know if this lived up to the hype, I still have a little bit of prescription left over, and so they're not super enthusiastic about the outcome I've had a handful of patients, though, who have really struggled with uh, the after effects of dry eye and, and really regretted having it done. Mm-hmm. So my position... Can you uh, go blind? Oh, um, yeah, any you know, there's a risk of complications and, and, and really extreme um, complication, I suppose, that could happen. I've never had that happen with the patient, knock on wood. Um, but I think my position as a provider is I don't necessarily recommend refractive surgery, but if somebody's motivated to have it done, I'm going to send them to the best person in town. No,
0: no, no. They can actually do eye... I- Implant, like eye transplants, right?
1: They can do corneal transplants.
0: So not the whole eye. Correct. Just the part, and that can make somebody see if they can't see, I mean, is, that, is that possible?
1: Yeah, it, you know, if somebody has um, like a lot of corneal scarring, for instance, or a degenerative disease like keratoconus, and they replace the cornea, um, yeah, that can restore their vision.
0: Okay, I should probably know this. What's the cornea? That's in the back, right? The front part, is that... part of the eye. Oh, the front, okay. The cornea okay. is the
1: front. It's kind of like your front windshield. It's a clear dome. Um, that uh, essentially bends light to hit the right spot on the back of the eye, that's the retina.
0: So if you replace the cornea, do you change your eye color?
1: Nope, that'd be the iris. So the iris would stay intact. Okay, and then... Keep your own iris, but you'd have a new
0: cornea. The cornea so what's that deal on the back when I get the, you take the picture and there's like a little nerve and yep. there's some ball, some deal back there.
1: That's your retinal photo, right? So you can see the optic nerve, the macula, the blood vessels, central retinal tissue.
0: You really know this shit. I mean, yeah. you obviously you, eye you know, doctor.
1: Yeah, I really enjoy my career and I, I I got my start um, in Alaska doing optometry in a, in a really fun way. So I started coming up to Alaska in 2016. I was coming up just about every month to do remote care. So flying to villages, small towns off the road system, rural Alaska. I've been to over 30 communities throughout Alaska.
0: Was that like the company you're working for in, in Washington was was doing this work? Or was no, that like on, your, on your own?
1: This was a, a small um, Alaska-based company, independent. Um, they were called North Star Optical, now... Um, kind of defunct well at least for the time being um but yeah we would fly into places like gamble and and Shishmarif and angoon and just do eye exams in school classrooms bingo halls a bowling alley hotel rooms anywhere we could stay warm and dry Had some of
0: those people or kids maybe not never seen an eye doctor is that yeah and then obviously maybe glasses or contacts or finding problems
1: yeah and that modality of practice definitely a lot of instances of what you were talking about where for for years or, or maybe, maybe even never, you know, um, did people have glasses. And so they didn't know, um, how, how much their vision could be improved. And so that was really rewarding to be able to do that work. So I did that. Um, you know, I was spending almost half of my time in Alaska, did that for about three years. And then the opportunity to buy my practice came along. Um, I moved here full-time at the very beginning of 2019 and bought the practice from Dr. Faulkner.
0: So I actually asked my dentist this because he bought, he bought into that family first practice, but I said, and I'm, maybe for dentistry, it's more expensive because of all the stuff required. But, you know, starting your own practice compared to, I mean, when you buy one, you have the patients, which is right. big, big, you, re, re, I assume, retain most of the patients. But did you think about starting your own practice from scratch? Or is that more like challenging?
1: I had thought of it in the past. I would say, yeah, it, it's an enormous value to have an existing patient base. I also, so here's kind of a funny story. Um, The way that I met Dr. Faulkner, I was on uh, the, the, Advisory board of a nonprofit called Arctic Encounter. You know Rachel Calandra. Yes, yes. Um, and
0: familiar. I did a tweet about uh, that recent conference that oh, some people yes. did about well, the Ru- about the Russians. Right. Yeah, yes, not I not know. being there. <laughs> I know <laughs> your <laughs> feelings
1: on that. Um, you know, it's a great conference. That
0: That's she's actually where at. I interviewed last year, uh, Lisa Murkowski yeah. and Joe yeah. Manchin at that yeah. conference, yeah, which was really there. really mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: No, she gets the big names. Uh, Rachel does. It. It's pretty cool. There's like, like, like ambassadors
0: mm-hmm. there and some high level, yeah, high level global international people and
1: very. I think very important and very fun to be able to have brought that conference home to Anchorage because as you likely know it it was meeting in Seattle for a number of years Mm -hmm. she started it when she was um, at law school in UW and in fact Rachel is my kind of original Alaska connection I grew up with her cousins in Seattle area and so we became really good buds when she moved down to Seattle for law school but on the the advisory board as well uh, was Mead Treadwell and he is who introduced me to um, to Dr. Faulkner. In fact, it was at Rachel's wedding where he came up and said, Daniel, uh, you got to meet my, my buddy. He wants to sell his practice. You'd be perfect.
0: No shit. that's yeah. So Alaskan.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: how uh, long after that meeting did you start talking about buying it?
1: Well, I kind of, at the he was time, selling it then he was selling it. And then at the time I kind of just laughed it off and thought, well, you know, I, I was enjoying my, my travel optometry gig so much. Um, and then I was hanging out later at Iditarod, ran into Mead, and I said, hey, whatever happened to your, your buddy who was um going to sell his practice? And he said, I'll, t- I'll text him right now. Are you interested? And I said, okay, sure, yeah, I'll go
0: in. I and love that. Then. Did, 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 did Mead ask for his... Uh his transaction fee or his uh, no, finder's no, fee? No, he
1: was truly just... <laughs> Agent fee? <laughs> no, just making a, a, a connection. You know, Meet is such a, a connector in that way. Um, and so I, I went in and I met uh, Dr. Faulkner and we clicked um, almost immediately and um, met the, the staff and saw the location and very quickly realized, wow, this is um, a great opportunity.
0: It's a really good spot to write downtown. Absolutely. And I, I
1: was feeling drawn to Alaska. You know, I was, I was spending so much of my time here. Um, and I felt, you know, at the, at the time I was living in downtown Seattle, and I was working part time at a, at a great practice there too. But I felt like I had sort of plateaued in my career. I started as an optician in 2004. And so I was the one who would help people pick out glasses. I worked in a lab cutting the lenses to fit the frame, um, did insurance billing. Well,
0: yeah, Well I assume you were in college then? You mm-hmm. were going yep. to school? Okay. Yep.
1: I worked all my summer vacations, Christmas breaks, weekends, um, doing that. So I got a, a ton of experience. Um, and then uh, went to optometry school and, and started practicing and I had practiced at that point, um, you know, in all of my clinical rotations. I had worked at an army hospital. I had done a VA hospital. I was moonlighting at a managed care um, hospital. And so I thought, I've kind of done everything in optometry except own my own business. And it, it's all always something that I've been interested in doing. So um, I thought, well, I'm going to take this thing as far, you know, as, as I can and, and learn the process of, of buying a business and getting financing and going through all those steps. And just the, the further along we got in the conversation, the more of a sure thing it became.
0: So without getting too much in the details of how this was, it like a, a small business loan, money down, owner finance? Was it like a combination of all that? Because I know these things depend on kind of the, you know, the, the, the seller and what they want to do. And sometimes yep. they want the money up front. Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll finance some of it. Sometimes they'll do a combination? Mm-hmm. I
1: was working with one bank, and then at the last minute, they did not want to do it because it was in Alaska. And uh, I thought that, oh, was, that was really interesting. It was kind of outside their ter- territory. They didn't feel comfortable with it. And then I worked with a business broker who, who found me uh, uh, alone. And, and, you know, this bank felt comfortable uh, working with Alaska, You know, an Alaskan transaction. And, um, yeah, so still paying the practice off but uh it, it's you know no regrets i i am blessed to have a lot of patients that stuck with me and
0: i was gonna ask you how many like did, did any say like oh he's gone i'm out and then compared to how many were like okay great like new doctor no problem
1: you know i don't know because they it's not like they would have ever let me know that they're not coming back but um we've retained a lot of patients and uh, you know it's funny, too, because I, I bring my dog to work, and now we have all these Google reviews. Juni. Juni, Juniper, yep. She's a little fluffball. And so basically all of our Google reviews are like, yeah, the doctor was pretty good. The staff was great, but the dog is amazing. So that's <laughs> kind of like how I rate, right? That's the hierarchy. There.
0: Great staff. I, I've been there. I got my—now I have glasses, and, and I see—I don't wear them too much. I wear them when, when I'm working on the computer and, once you know, I'm doing other things, reading maybe, but I don't need them, but— it's like, shit, when I put them on, though, it is like, I told you, like, the HD, it's going from, like, SD to HD. I That's mean, right. it, it is better. That's right. It's not, I can I can do it without them, but it is noticeably, you know, yeah. especially, like, the long distance with, like, if you're squinting a little bit, mm-hmm. you put those suckers on, you know, if it's, like, way far in some letter, way in the that. distance.
1: Got to have that detail. Yeah.
0: I've never done the contacts, so I've just never really wanted to do I that. I don't
1: think your prescription is quite high enough to need contacts at this point, but... We could try in the future.
0: Do we people can... get worse? I mean, is that not, not I mean, yeah. it's, we all kind of know you get older, your vision goes, is that?
1: Mm-hmm. Vision changes over time. Uh, you know, particularly when, when folks hit mid-40s, there's a process called presbyopia that sets in where they start to lose their near vision. Shit. So people have to switch to bifocals. 39, or buddy. We're 39. We're getting there, I know. I've got about six years left of good up-close Now,
0: now you were telling me, um, I want to talk about the assembly stuff in a little bit here, but you were telling me that. Some people have like eagle vision, like very, very like small percentage of people have amazing vision, right?
1: Supervision, it's called, and it, it's dependent on um, you know the ocular anatomy, including the size of their pupil. But uh, twenty-eight, right? So if the twenty-twenty is the standard of vision correction, twenty-eight is theoretically like the limit of human vision. So twenty-twenty
0: is like a twenty feet. How does, what does that mean? Twenty-twenty is that something with foot feet or?
1: Yeah, so uh, it's the size. Twenty twenty is is the size of letter. Essentially, you should be able to read from twenty feet away.
0: Okay, so when you say twenty two hundred, you would have to
1: be. So, someone who is twenty twenty could see what somebody who is twenty two hundred can see at twenty feet. At twenty feet from two hundred feet away.
0: Oh shit! Right. So it's it's, It's just a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So what's twenty? So wait, you're you're saying twenty eight? Somebody can be. What, what I what, what I need to see at twenty feet, they can see it. I'm sorry. What, what I see at eight feet, they can see at twenty feet.
1: Mm, you know, I'd, I'd, I would have to do the math. I'd have to put pen to paper to really calculate. I think that's accurate. But if there's any optometrist uh, listening, don't uh, don't. So how many
0: people that. have this supervision?
1: I don't know. Not many. Have you seen it? Uh, no. I you know I've I think my chart most most acuity charts will stop at about twenty ten.
0: Have you seen that? Yeah. Are you just like wow? That's Jesus. Yeah. Did you did you memorize? Magic- congratulations. You, do, you, do you check them? Like, did you maybe they memorized? Them. Right. Do people ever? Because those those are like. In the I had a uh, friend. My dad. My dad um, had a friend. Their kid was a pilot and in, in the Air Force. This is a long time ago. Colorblind. Um, he knew he was colorblind. He memorized the, the Ishihara slides, mm. and then like many 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 years later, he was a career. They had like a different test, and they were like, "What? In, what the hell? You're you know." Yeah, but yeah. but at that point, it was like he's he was in.
1: Well, most- um, Are all
0: these like standard, these numbers, or do they change them a little bit?
1: There's a standard Snellen chart, and the 2020 line on a standard Snellen chart is TZVECL. But most eye doctors will have either digital charts or projector charts that they can change up the- Yeah, you got to
0: mix it up. You got to got to watch those those mm-hmm. cheaters. Like they have the DMV thing where you put your little, your forehead, you know, and it, like, yep. those are probably, I'm guessing they haven't- pretty standard they yeah, ain't gonna they not ain't gonna the latest and greatest I think probably like 10 20 year old <laughs> yeah okay so you're up here you're about the business yep. and then obviously in twenty twenty two, 22 you ran was it 22 you ran for the assembly yep and the special they created the 12th mm-hmm. that was a deal they did for they had 11 districts one single downtown district and then they created another one so it's 12
1: They had 11 members um Six districts. Sorry,
0: sorry. Six. Yeah, eleven, and then one single district. Uh, yeah, the other ones all have two.
1: Yep. And downtown was the was the only what was what was called the downtown district, now called North Anchorage, was the only um, district that only had one assembly member. So that was. Uh,
0: it was supposed to, as I recall, it was supposed to rotate, right? The, the single member district, but it really never. I mean, it maybe rotated once, and then it kind of just stayed downtown for a long time. Yep.
1: Correct. Um, so yeah, it was interesting when I uh, bought my business, I wanted to get really involved in the community. And so I joined the chamber of commerce, the young professionals group. I got involved in rotary, um, Alaska world affairs council, and I got really involved with my community council, which is South addition.
0: Gotta lock you in that top. Were you top 40?
1: I was not top 40. I got Alaska young professionals.
0: You got one more year, buddy. I know this is your, this is
1: your year if anybody's listening and wants we, to nominate we need, we need to lock you in here
0: this is your last i mean this yeah. sounds like you're you're you got the business you got yeah. the assembly you got the ooh i got it last year i mean there must have you been did. a Congratulations. It, it must have been a pretty low you know year of uh, applicants or something right. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but no you would be I mean, you have done a lot of stuff like you said so you definitely
1: yeah i try to get involved in, and my experience was if you volunteer for something here in Anchorage be very careful because you will uh, be given more opportunities to volunteer for things, but... Um, oh, but, that's
0: true. Yeah, yeah, right about that.
1: I, I really, I liked getting involved in my community council. I liked learning about, um you know, capital, uh, the capital improvement process. You're a South
0: and Edition, land right? Land
1: use and traffic calming. Yep, South Edition.
0: So you're doing these things. Did you, I mean, was it, some people do these things because they want to run for office and then some people do these things and then they at some point decide to run for office. Were you like, kind of like, wanted to run for the assembly or did you do this stuff and then at some point... There Was this open seat? Did you people ask you like how, how did it come about where you wanted to run for the assembly? Uh,
1: it was not on my radar. Um, and in fact, when it was first suggested to me, uh, to run, I had to think a, a lot about it. Um, at that point, I, I had been involved for a couple of years uh, with my community council, and so I was you know going to assembly meetings and watching the process and trying to learn as much as possible. Um,
0: you were, you were there at many of the loose ones, the mask mandate stuff, was, we, we were there, and the yep. All the stars of David, all the crazy shit that was going on after you know. I think
1: I was standing next to you in the back of the room. Oh, when I was assaulted? Not when you were assaulted, but when um Amy Domboski went into
0: the Oh, we on the um the room, the, the A V room. We we got that on film actually. Right. I I was live. Right. And and we we was it, caught her. We we saw her go in there and that was the whole controversy of cutting the feed.
1: Allegedly, yeah. Yeah. It was a very wild night. And when, uh, you know, we we, we did it live on the plexiglass and it was just pandemonium. It was really, you know, that was when, so I guess that was a catalyst for me was going to those meetings. And, you know, Paxton and I wrote um, um, an op-ed about. The vilification of healthcare professionals mm-hmm. uh, in Anchorage, and just how that disturbing that was to me. So myself as a healthcare professional, but also at the time, uh, my, my sister is a, a trauma surgeon, and so she was.
0: Oh, really? She, Where at? Um,
1: she, she's in Erie, Pennsylvania, um, and she was treating COVID patients and
0: doing tracheotomies. And your parents must be kind of proud. A Couple, a couple of doctors. Yeah, my, do you have any other
1: siblings? Or yeah, I do. My little brother is in the Navy. He's an oral surgeon.
0: Three doctors. Yep. Yeah,
1: yep. Yeah. So, are your parents doctors? They are not. No, they worked worked for uh, the phone company for a long time growing up.
0: Three doctors. They (laughs) must be like, "Mm, yeah, no big deal. Look what we did. I think they're they're pretty proud. They are. They were up here. I saw them when you got sworn in, and I I met them briefly. So,
1: yeah, they're they're great supporters of their children for sure.
0: Okay, so you're watching these meetings. You're seeing obviously Bronson winning that created the whole rift of the assembly. There's been a lot of back and forth the last couple years.
1: There was that night. Do you remember when? a bunch of doctors came and they wore their white coats. And I'll just say like the last place, you know, I'm a weirdo for most healthcare professionals. The last place they want to be after a long grueling work shift is coming to assembly. Yeah, chambers to public,
0: testify. public meeting. There was that one woman. What was her name? She was from Providence. Very attractive.
1: Mm, um.
0: She wrote, she wrote, she was kind of the face of the whole member. She, she, uh, I know who you're
1: talking about. Long, dark hair. What was her
0: name? Yeah. Very, very good looking. Was I was I noticed that I'll be honest (laughs) I was like wow well it's it's a good good face for the for the movement
1: uh, yeah you know I I think um, I just thought you know here are these doctors coming to the chambers to to essentially raise a red flag about the ER being full and they're you know they're at the end of their resources um, and to see how they were treated by um, the the audience. You know they were being jeered at, and oh yeah, no, happened. I was, I was there. It was, it
0: was. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to look up the name of this doctor. I'll, I'll, find it in a second.
1: These are people who are trying to do their job, um, and and treat patients and, and protect our city, and uh, you know also to see how they were treated by a, a former uh, colleague of mine. Was just at the time, it was pretty sad to watch. And so, I thought, you know, it would, it maybe would be good to have a healthcare professional. On, on the body who could maybe weigh in on some of this stuff. Um, and then let's see what else. Oh, we were talking about, um, you know, why I wanted to run, you know, in addition to my community council stuff at the time, I thought hey, maybe it's a bad idea because as a business owner, um, I, you know, I want to cast a wide net and I don't want to turn off you know, mm-hmm. potential customers. Sure. Or yeah. Like that's that's political a, that's that a fair,
0: make. fair, Thing to think about
1: but i just thought you know i m- i'm going to be here you know i'm i am a young professional we're living in a city that's you that's losing working age population and, for
0: a decade more than a decade
1: and, yeah so a problem with that migrate out migration and i guess for me um like i explained earlier anchorage meant uh moving to anchorage meant coming to a place of professional opportunity and, I, and that's what i want other people to think about when they think about anchorage that they would be able to have um opportunity and, and and come here and, and create lives for themselves.
0: And I got to say, your, your race was really unique because it was you, um, was it Tasha or a Ta- Tasha? Tasha yeah. Hotch, Tasha Hotch. And then Stephanie um, Taylor, mm-hmm. who had run before in East Anchorage, but with a district line, she had been put into this new downtown right. area. And there was a few others. But a lot of people, including myself, I said, wait a minute, like if you have um, Tasha's kind of progressive Mm-hmm. person Stephanie obviously was a conservative and then you were you're were in there as kind of I'd say kind of maybe more prog- maybe not as progressive as Tasha but you guys were probably going for the same votes and a lot of us thought wow this could be like you know this could be a weird situation where it's a plurality vote and if Stephanie pe- peels off 40 percent or for you know she could win yeah and, and I think that was a concern for a lot of folks and you ended up winning but that did kind of that almost I mean that was close I forget that what were the numbers I mean Stephanie got second right and um Stephanie
1: got second and i want to say there was like a three percent it, it was us. it was not
0: a big margin yeah. it was close for
1: a very progressive district
0: and the thing about Tash, which i, I love to, to i mean allison my former she used mm-hmm. to do the soccer my friend she pointed out and i forgot about it but she's so good at remembering stuff that fucking mailer where she's like i will plow the streets myself this is before the snow pack, po- the snow situation we had last. Remember that mailer? I do. And yeah. we, we, we revived it. We were, we were like, <laughs> "Where is she at?" You, know, like yeah, you they're, know, they are not plowing the roads. It, it, Where's Tasha?
1: I think that was a misstep of her campaign for sure, um, and and a little bit comical. I will say, I just saw Tasha at the Spinard Community Council. She's working for Elise Galvin now.
0: Yeah, she's done. I've seen her in Juno a lot during yeah. session. Yeah.
1: So she's still super involved. She cares a lot about her community. Um, and I think her and I uh, ran really clean campaigns against each other. So. I
0: think uh, Ro- uh, Taylor, Rob, Robin Taylor, Robin Phillips was in there too. Robin Phillips yeah. was in there. Yeah. So th-
1: I like Robin. Uh, your buddy Rob Forbes was in there. Um.
0: Yeah, he kind of came out hot and then kind of finished kind of cold. He really didn't, didn't. I mean, I think he didn't get very many votes. Um, but like, like if Robin wouldn't have been in there, Phillips, I don't know what she got, but that could have been. If it was just you, if it would been just you, Stephanie and Tasha, because um, the other ones got some percentages too, and it was very close, like we said. So, yeah, exactly. how worried were you? I mean, I've been in races before where I've run, I've not won, but I've like, you, you worry about like, why, why are the, why are these people doing this? You know, it's it's going to screw it up.
1: How worried was I, you know, this was, it was my time running, my first time running for office. And I just felt kind of honored that um, I had people supporting me and, you know, whether that was elected officials um, supporting me, there was some, some folks who wrote an op-ed supporting my campaign, which I felt really grateful for. And, uh, or, you know, just my friends. Um, It was humbling. It was definitely a new experience in door knocking. It was a
0: weird election because it was a special June summer election for the seat, and it was, you know, obviously low, pe- harder to get people to engage in the summertime.
1: It was nice that I got to go door knocking in the summer because mm-hmm. normally, if you, if you're campaigning for Assembly, you're, it, it's the wintertime. Um, but yeah, it, it was definitely a low turnout. And one of the confusing things uh, during that same time was the the race for Don Young's seat. Yes. With like yeah. The 50 special candidates. Mm-hmm. So I would door knock and say, Hey, did you fill your ballot out? And people are like, Oh yeah, there was 50 people on it. It's like, no, not that ballot. The other one.
0: I remember that. Yeah. Those were, those were overlapping. Yep. So, you know, a lot to talk about, but I think the, the main, I mean, well, we first talk about you, you're really promoting this bicycle thing. And I wanted oh, to yeah. talk to you about that. Cause I mean, I don't ride a bike too much, but I mean, I, I feel like it's, you know, a lot of people ride bikes on the trails, but we're not, I wouldn't describe us as like a bike city. I would
1: say we're not. Um, But but yeah,
0: there's like this new pilot thing you guys have done with a bike Mm -hmm. lane. So, I mean, let's talk about like, you know, how how much are bikes going to ever be a thing here and, and how much should we be spending on making the... Mm-hmm. Making "quote unquote" bike friendly.
1: I think they are going to be a thing, but we have to create infrastructure for it. Um, I think uh, you know. Well, let me back up. I, I would say we are a bike city in the sense of we have world class trails. Our trail system is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you get off the trail onto the road, it's a different story. Uh, you know what you mentioned. We we are just now for the first time ever in Anchorage's history piloting. We're doing a temporary demonstration of a protected bike lane. And in fact, this morning we had uh, a ribbon cutting and um, you know, I was there obviously Anchorage health department, Anchorage parks foundation, the mayor was there. He gave some comments.
0: That's um, those little things, those little pipe like plastic, they kind of go straight up and they kind of, they're flexible, but those are those things you see. In those this
1: installation has, has the flex post and it also has rubber curbs. So there's a, a separation there. Um, and it's between the sidewalk and, and the parking. So people can still park on the other side of the bike lane. Um, but, yeah, you know I think it's we we need to try new things. Anchorage is a city that is largely um, it is designed around cars, not people. And my whole thing is transportation choice, right? I don't think it's bikes versus cars. I drive um, and I also ride a bike. But I think you should be able to choose your method of transportation, whether that's car or you're walking or taking a bike or rolling in a wheelchair, and get to your destination safely. And I think physically separating those forms of traffic keeps both. I guess for, for, for me, it's, safe.
0: you know, for three or four months, we have a great Anchorage, a great opportunity to, you know, mm-hmm. summertime, good weather. But then for seven or eight months, it's it's cold. And then for six months or more, it's snowing. Yeah. And I know people do there's a fat tire. Those people still, but that's kind of like a specific hardcore group of people. I mean, I, I don't think many people are you know, biking to work in the wintertime.
1: Yeah. No, I would say not as many. I mean, you do have a good point, especially with the e fat tire bikes. People do ride those, but you know, I I have two thoughts on that because that is something that gets brought up a lot. Um, you know, well, what about winter maintenance? We could never have a protected bike lane. And there are, uh, winter cities that have protected bike lanes who maintain them in the winter.
0: Europe, I'm guessing.
1: Not just Europe, uh, Canada, um, you know, uh, Montreal has protected bike lanes. Minneapolis has protected bike lanes. Chicago has protected bike lanes. Um, so there's North American cities as well. Um, it's an investment for sure. Um, but one idea that I'm trying to socialize, in fact, I just went to a complete street seminar. It was a two-day seminar, and I was the only elected official there, but there was a lot of folks from DOT and from here? Muni traffic. Yep, it was here in Anchorage. Um, and I, I talked about this idea. You know, One idea that I want to socialize is that we could potentially have seasonal bike lanes. So... Recently, um, we just passed an ordinance that I co-sponsored along with um, Anna Brawley and Karen Branga, my colleagues on the assembly. And it defined in code for the first time protected bike lane. And I made sure to put language in there that protected bike lanes could be permanent or they could be seasonal, um, you know, temporary or or even seasonal. And so what if we had summer bike lanes?
0: It's almost like those uh, summer speed Bump things that they take, they take out. They, they put them there in the summer and then they take them out in the winter. And, you know, those like, you know, those you know, speed bum things.
1: So, you know, bike to work day. Okay. Summer bike lanes are open for for the season. And then in the winter, that you, you you maybe take out the barriers or not, but that becomes the place where snow is stored instead of on top of the sidewalk. I mean, we've all seen those.
0: Well, that's what I wanted to get into next was was what the fuck happened <laughs> last year with uh, the snow. I mean, I know, yeah, it's snowed a lot. Right. Okay, we can acknowledge this not a lot. Mm-hmm. But we're we're living in a city that was not once but twice America's choice for the fucking Winter Olympics in mm-hmm. 92 and 94, 94 and 92 and 94. We live in a winter city. I mean, I, what happened? I mean, I, it, unacceptable, you know, the the, the snow I mean it, it wasn't just like a few weeks, it was mm-hmm. basically the whole winter. Yeah, like we had to, the snow had to melt for for it to yeah. get resolved in a lot of places. No, it, it
1: it was it was really bad. And it was bad to the point where uh, so I'm co-chair of the health policy committee, and I, you know, after that happened, I dedicated an entire health policy committee meeting to uh, snow removal and the effect on public health, um, and you know, particularly people who have mobility disabilities or are visually impaired, and how. What if you
0: can't get out of your driveway to go to the doctor? Yep,
1: can't get your prescriptions. Can't get, we? Uh, there was a story I heard of a person who couldn't get to dialysis. Um, so it's, it, it's a, an accessibility issue. It's a, a huge ADA issue too, because they had to cancel anchor rides uh, there for a little bit. Um, so it, it wasn't good. How long were
0: schools closed for 10 days, nine, nine or 10 days? Yeah. I don't recall,
1: but it, too long. And I, I, I will, I'll just say, you know, it, it was really interesting timing wise, because in the lead up to budget season, um, the assembly made it a priority. In fact, we we increased, um, it, well, first of all, colleagues came forward in a work session. They said, okay, we want to bring forward a, bu- a budget amendment to increase the budget for snow removal from streets for $500,000. And then in that work session, we kind of looked around and said, well, what about sidewalks? We hear all the time from our constituents about sidewalks. And so we said, okay, um, we're going to do a million dollars and specifically streets and sidewalks, snow removal. Then we get to our actual meeting, and we hear in person. It, it, the, the way the assembly works is you try to be prepared when you get to the regular meeting. The regular meeting on Tuesday nights is kind of like showtime, right? It, you've already done the work sessions and the committee meetings and um, various, you know, constituent constituent outreach, and you've got your arguments prepared, your documents ready to go, and it's game time what you really don't like doing is having to make decisions on the fly and make the sausage in real time.
0: That's similar in Juneau when stuff gets to the floor, the house or Senate floor, it should be all done by them. But then you have sometimes people try to try to, you know, try to get loose on the fly and start Mm -hmm. to introduce stuff that should have been done in the committee. They have the right to do it, but then it gets real messy. You know, they're, they're they're getting creative or they're they're kind of going off the rails a little bit. And then it gets, it gets, uh, this is stuff that should have been done in the committee, but then it, becomes done yep. in a group of 40 or 20 and it's like awkward.
1: But the key to that is getting good information in advance, right? Um, so it was at that, that regular meeting when, you know, we're getting ready to, to pass the budget that we heard from um, Paul Van Landingham to say, well, actually. Who's that? He is, um, oh gosh, who's Paul? He's, um, I want to say MNO.
0: He's with the city? Yes. Okay. I'm going to look him up real quick so I don't
1: get his title wrong. Um, but it was at that meeting when um, he said, actually, you know, even an a million dollar infusion um, would not, um, it, it would just sustain the same level of service. It would not increase the same level of service.
0: Is it because wages went up or because cost, all the costs have gone up? Yeah. Because costs, we all know costs. I mean, I, I'm on my HOA board. We have 116 units. So we have snow plow. We have a contractor that does plowing and summer maintenance and other paint all these things i mean they're all you know our insurance water everything's going up you know all the costs are yeah. going up and and, and our, our summer and our contractor does our summer and winter maintenance um snow plowing and snow removal and all right. that they they went up i think 20 couple of years ago 20 percent so know, a so big increase and, and you know mm-hmm. i don't blame them I, i'm not they aren't fleecing us it's just all the costs are going up
1: paul's in charge of street maintenance um i gotta get man. him on the freaking podcast that's the guy i need to get on the landing he's, he's a really great especially guy. now like
0: up to you know we're coming up to winter
1: yep Um, so anyway, he, he lets us know this and, and then we realized, okay, well, then what that meant was that the mayor's proposed budget would have actually been a cut. This is last fall. Mm -hmm. So we said, okay, then we're going to, we're going to increase it again. And the, the the version that we finally passed was $1.5 million additional for snow removal. Then we have that crazy snowstorm. And, you know, to your point, yes, it was crazy. It was a lot of snow, way more than we normally see. Um, but we found out sort of after the fact that the administration had been warned um, by by the, the union that um, represents the, uh, the folks who plow the streets um, that they were severely understaffed and that they, if they did not staff up, um, they were potentially going to have what they called a winter failure so the administration knew this and this was in august right
0: well i know i know several of the people went to the state like the airport yep because uh, the salaries were higher yep way higher yep and we're just seeing i mean
1: it, it's a big issue workforce issues are a national problem but they're they're really uh acute right now in anchorage and so yes um folks and went and worked for the airport um found other jobs because they weren't being competitively cons- compensated. Um, you know, we're seeing uh, 36% vacancy in the health department right now. Um, we, you know, we, they had so, such a shortage in uh, the controller's office where we had to contract out for people to do the accounting. Um, so that's one of the big issues facing. The I mean, vacancy. the state
0: too, they're having this payroll thing right now. Mm-hmm. They're, they're contracting out payroll. They're paying actually a lot more than, they pay people, but they can't yeah. find people. So there's this whole issue with potentially people not getting paid.
1: Yeah. They pay their attorneys more. So we've had attorneys leave the municipality and go work for the state.
0: Yeah, we had um, oh, what was her name? Uh, one, one of my, one of my heroes, Ruth Botstein. Mm-hmm. She was over there. No, she's with the ACLU, but she was with the state. Then she got the Dunleavy thing, but she was with the city for a while. Mm-hmm. And then she left. Well, um, even great during, lawyer.
1: Even during, so there's like the, the the pay, right, which is important. Everyone wants to make um, decent wages so they can afford to live. But then there's also, uh, I think, workplace culture and um, benefits. You know, one of the interesting things is during that crazy winter storm, there was this big dust up over whether... Uh, People need to come to work in person. Municipal employees needed to commute through all of that crazy oh, stuff. That, well,
0: that was the whole – that was where Domboski went off on uh, Rochelle Alger. Right. That was about that top – and Domboski wanted these people to show up, and it, it was like, okay, there's a discussion about, like, in person or not, but it's like when you can't get on the fucking roads – Right. You know, we did, We actually did a satire. Uh, I'd have to pull it up. It was basically um, – we did, like, Bron- Bronson has, like, you know, uh press conference to, like – ski to work, or like, oh, we're announcing, like, ski to work, it's we're going to save money on the roads.
1: Yeah, that's active transportation, so I can appreciate that, but no, you have to take care of our municipal employees, especially when you're understaffed in in so many departments, and people want to have the flexibility to to work from home, or, you know, um, the, uh, the assembly passed family leave, and we gave additional paid holidays.
0: Well, it's an interesting time right now in the world, in the country, in the world, but I read this article a while back, and it was very fascinating. It was kind of saying the first time in history workers had some rights was in the was in the black plague mm. because in europe so many people died right a lot third of europe died. so all of a sudden you know it wasn't like they were in like in a great spot but all of a sudden it was like well you want us to keep working well we need to have a little bit more sure you know may, may, <laughs> maybe a little, yeah. that was the same here where covid it wasn't as much i mean there wasn't death but it wasn't it was just the culture change as far as like you know, I want to work from home. You know, okay, well, I'll go somewhere else. I mean, it became yeah. a situation where workers had um, more of an advantage than they've had in a long time over over, you know, the employers on, on conditions, on negotiating kind of not
1: right. just pay,
0: but 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 you're talking about like culture and lifestyle.
1: Yep. I think it was a time for a lot of people to reassess their priorities and and what they value.
0: So getting back to the snow, um this happened and and there was a, a kind of pretty popular Reddit post that went kind of, and I don't know who it was from, but it described, I mean, it was, Daboski was like describing this as muni manager saying, yeah, you know, this is, could be a problem, but, uh, eh, you know, we'll see. I mean, it was almost kind of like the, the, the the plan was like, well, hope it doesn't fucking snow. Mm. And then it's, and then it snowed a lot.
1: Right. And we weren't prepared. And that to me is poor leadership.
0: I mean, I got to the point where I was calling, cause I was so, I mean, I live here and I, I was, so frustrated um, thank God I ended up going to Juneau for the session and they plow their roads over there. I mean, they don't have, they have snow. They could, mm-hmm. one day it snowed a lot. And like, I woke up and I was at the driftwood, and, which I won't be staying at ever again, by the way, if you're staying in Juneau, folks, do not stay at the driftwood. <laughs> do not stay at the driftwood. Never stay there. Mm-hmm. Call me. I'll find you a place to stay. Never stay at the driftwood. That's me talking Jeff Landfield, but I was staying at the driftwood then where this whole like, thing went that down. That was your home away from home. It was five time. years, yeah. but, but they got new management and it's, it's a joke. So again, if you're ever in Juneau, do not stay at the driftwood. Um, where was it going with it? Yeah, so it was snowed a lot and I woke up and they were like, everything was plowed. I remember I did a tweet and I was like, man, they can plow their roads in Juneau. But I was to the point where I was talking to people and I was saying the governor needs to maybe step in and like declare an emergency because it's like weeks after the deal and these side roads mm-hmm. were not accessible. There was berms, people's, remember K- Kale was pretty pissed off because they, in mm-hmm. his house by Valley of the Moon, they had plowed a Should berm. Snow. Yep, They froze mm-hmm. and he was having trouble getting out of his driveway. Yep. So it it was so it just and then like I said it it this whole thing wasn't really fully resolved till the snow melted.
1: Yeah, you know I think we I hope that we we treat it as a learning opportunity both in terms of funding but also best practices. Um, we myself and member Zalatel did bring forward an item that that um, my colleagues uh, approved. So we funded a long range transportation policy plan that will specifically look at. Parking management, right-of-way management, best practices and snow removal from streets and sidewalks.
0: I mean, even over here, and this Tudor might be a state road, so I don't I don't know the uh, people don't, I think people for, don't understand sometimes there's state roads and city roads and there's kind of an overlap on like, you know, right. who does what, but um, the snow got piled up so high here when you were trying to get out of the parking lot, you could not see mm-hmm. if the cars were coming. You couldn't see so, around, yep. So you had to like, you know, like sneak out, kind of like hope nobody was coming and then kind of like, Get to the point where you could glance enough to see if there was cars coming and there was a couple times where i said oh should i had to like reverse yeah because there was there was so so much that's a big safety I, mean, I wonder if there's ever a way to measure like how many accidents it would be difficult i think but there's i'm sure accidents happened major minor whatever because of because of this stuff
1: yeah oh yeah very likely and then all, all those pictures of you know people in their wheelchairs having to go out in the middle of the road because they can't use the sidewalks and it was just—it was very messy, very bad. Um, Fireweed is another road that I, I heard a lot of um, complaints about because there's, I think, like four different schools on on that road, and that's a. Well, there, there more, was that article. There road. was that
0: deal where kids were going to school and they were basically walking in the street because mm-hmm. they couldn't walk. There was no yep. sidewalk. Yep. And They were getting off the bus and they were just like walking. We did a little article. We went out there. Me and uh, Kale went out there and we filmed kind of just a quick little, you know, three-minute story about it. And we, mm-hmm. I mean, it was like just. You don't have a four wheel drive. You were not getting through some of these side streets and just right. seeing people kind of walking in the streets and yeah. walking up on huge snow berms to try to cross the street and have them to walk down. I mean, it was yeah, it was so kind of chaos.
1: I guess my two hopes are number one that that study that we funded could could really help us improve uh, the way that we do things, and and number two that we realize, hey, you know, we need to fund snow removal. We're a winter city. We should be. My thing is. We should be setting the best practice. Other cities like Buffalo, New York, they should be looking to Anchorage,
0: Alaska. To well, it's the opposite thing. because I mean I remember hearing people say, you know Buffalo gets a lot of snow, oh, Lake effect right? snow, and they, they plow their streets. Yeah, it
1: is the opposite, and that's they are I'm they thinking.
0: are really well plowed. Mm-hmm. Um, so last thing I want to talk about we've been going for a while, but um, this is a little bit related, but the homelessness problem, which I've mm-hmm. talked to you a lot about, you know yeah. offline, and you know, I stayed at the Sullivan Arena a couple of years ago. I tried to stay at the Third Avenue uh, Mad Max situation, but right. you know it got kind of weird, and I, I didn't want to get stabbed, so with a, with a with a, with a screwdriver and then somebody kind of didn't have a gun, but they motioned like they had a gun and there was a shoot, you know, there was like been shootings and there was a gun pulled on a kid. But so I was like, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to, not going to risk that one. Right. At least at the Sullivan, which was horrible. At least there was like, it was inside and there was some people there that were watching. There was some kind of level of security. I mean, the third Avenue thing is basically like there's a security guard, quote unquote guard. He just sits at the gate. I mean, it's like Mad Max inside that place. Yeah. So what crazy. are we going to do? I mean, first of all, why'd they close the Sullivan? I think there there was reasons to close it, but there was no plan. And then, two, we're coming up in September. It's going to be October. It's going to be cold soon, snowing. What are we going to do?
1: Well, the the reason that we closed the Sullivan was because it was a magnet for public safety issues, and I think this that's one of the issues with a mass care model of shelter is people know where to go. Um, who want to take advantage of a vulnerable population it happened at the Sullivan. It is happening now at third and Ingra
0: and, um, and Davis park. And then there's the, the midtown there's three kind of major mm-hmm. camps, but then there's all the uh, smaller ones that are all over the place. Yep.
1: yep. Um, and, you know, with some of those concerns at the Sullivan arena and just hearing from Fairview constituents, it was not sustainable. It was also uh, very expensive, you know, the municipality did not spend Money on shelter prior to 2018. So this is kind of a new thing where the municipality is not just relying on nonprofits.
0: Um, we got we got when COVID happened, we got kind of bailed out from the yep. um, the FEZ, FEMA, I guess, mm-hmm. was the FEMA money, and then that was mm-hmm. how they opened the how they ended up opening the Sullivan. And I'm not saying the Sullivan was a good answer, and it was not. I stayed there. It was right, pretty fucking horrible.
1: It reached a point where um, the assembly had to bring in third party oversight because things were not. Um, being run the way that they should have. I mean, there was drug dealing in the parking lot at Sullivan Arena, a lady died on the steps, a lady in a wheelchair. I mean, it was just not- When, I, when I went
0: in there, the first thing I saw, was in 2021, 20, first thing I, I saw was like kind of, people were kind of scurrying to the back outside where the porta the parties mm-hmm. were. Dude, dude OD'd, I mean, yeah. straight up like shooting him with Narcan. Yep. First thing I saw, I was like, what the hell? Yeah. You know, this is, mm-hmm. and, then, and then the, the other hor- horrible, and we see that I saw this on Third Avenue, it's like these people that are so mentally ill who really need help. Yeah. Who are, we've just kind of said, well, just put them on the streets, and you know, it's 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 bad for them, but it's it's bad for the other other people too who don't know how to deal with that. And it, it, but it's really bad for those people that are suffering right. from severe mental illness.
1: We just convened. Um, Felix Rivera and I um, helped convene a behavioral health summit, and we we had a great turnout. Um, leaders from the state were there, um, various elected officials. And we had a conversation about, you know, Anchorage is treading water right now when it comes to behavioral health response. We don't have enough treatment beds. Uh, The Assembly did um, fund uh, part of the uh, Providence is bringing online soon their Crisis Stabilization Center. Um, We we also, it remains a priority of the Assembly to have 24-7 implementation of the mobile crisis team and the mobile intervention team. Um, So providing a public safety mental health response. Uh, we recently appropriated $200,000 for mitigation at some of the larger camps like third and Um, and so that w- went to the health department, parks and rec, um, and, and to APD because we, we realize, you know, there, there is a, a huge public safety issue. All the things that you mentioned, um, are
0: true. What, what are your, I mean, I've said this many times, I think we need to be compassionate, but I also think we need to be tough. Mm. I, I feel like we're, we're heavy on the compassion, maybe light on the tough and, we like tolerate a lot of this. And this is not just, this goes back a long time, you know, this is, mm-hmm. it's gotten, I think it's gotten worse, but like, what are you, what are your thoughts on how to, how to improve this? I know a lot of people are pr- 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 uh, proposing various spread out facility, not just one, like you're talking mm-hmm. about, but different parts of, I mean, what do you think we could do to make this? Like well, if somebody wants help, they get help. But if somebody mm-hmm. doesn't want help and they want to be a nuisance, we can deal with that too. You know,
1: mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of conflation with homelessness and, um, criminality. And I think there is a Venn diagram there, but I think there's also, you know, not all homeless people are criminals. Not all criminals are homeless. Um, there's a lot of criminals who seek to take advantage of um, of folks who are homeless, who have mental health issues or substance abuse issues. Um, I think, you know, for sure housing is a big part of the solution and the assembly has brought on hundreds of units of housing over the past couple years. Um, the Barrett Inn is still uh, in the process and will soon be turned on turned online. The Golden Lion is receiving tenants. The Lake House Inn. One of my first um, co-sponsored appropriations when I got elected was to close the sale of the Guest House downtown. And um, so so housing is a big component. Um, I well,
0: think w- w- it, it, would you agree that, and, and I, believe, I believe obviously housing is part of this, but I've, I've said, and, and part of this is over there, My one of my books I referenced a lot of San Francisco mm-hmm. by Michael Schellenberger. You can't give somebody who's very, very mentally ill or very drug addicted a house and say, good luck.
1: Right. I mean, you can't,
0: that doesn't work. I mean,
1: no, they need the support services. Right. So for instance, um, you know, with, with the guest house, um, 120 units are extremely low income housing. So that's folks who, uh, a lot of folks who work extremely low income jobs or have some type of supplementary, um, income. So whether that's disability or social security, and so they're on a lease, right. And so they, they've got skin in the game and there's certain, um, I guess, expectations of, you know, the living situation. Uh, and then there's uh, about, I think it was 20 units of permanent supportive housing. And that's folks who, you know, they need housing, but they also need more support, more of that wraparound care. Because,
0: um, I, mean, I mean, there was people that I met at the Sullivan who did have jobs. Mm-hmm. And that was not a good place for somebody who right. can't, get, can't get a good night's sleep. You're always on right. alert because how crazy it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the people who do have it, I mean, for me, it's like if you have a job and you want to have a job and you, I mean, we should be definitely like providing those people a place to stay.
1: One of the recommendations of the Behavioral Health Task Force was that we we do need low barrier or no barrier shelter. Right? Mm-hmm. Because there is, a, like you said, a subset of the population who um, maybe will not uh, do well, will not thrive if they're put immediately into like a self sustainable housing type situation. Um, But how do we connect those people to the care that they need? Another recommendation was, you know, maybe uh, contracting with medical workers, right? Like right now the municipality um, will fund outreach. So folks who can go out to some of those camps and get people connected with services. Um, But what if we had, um, medical providers going in there and doing telemedicine and making sure people stay on their medications um, or or, or doing that type of triage and then uh, transportation too. I mean, it's so hard, even as somebody, you know, I recently had a sinus issue and I, I'm a healthcare provider and it was such a long wait list for me to get in and get seen by anybody. There's so many providers who aren't accepting new patients and you really have to be able, you have to have a, I guess, you know the ability to to be your own healthcare advocate and there's a lot of people I mean if you're houseless and you don't have trans- your own transportation how are you going to even get Oh to yeah no payments? it's
0: it's it's um, even when I was at the few weeks ago on the 3rd Avenue I tried I went down to the you know car, car, um, Beam, Brother Francis Beans and mm-hmm. there's been a whole new development of tents down there on that cuz it's Carlock um mm-hmm. and I talked to some of the people that I recognized from video we did a couple of years back but like I went to the Brother Francis, just checking what it was like. And if I could get a bed, no. Come back at eight in the morning. Right. Can I get some food? No. Um, but this one guy was a really nice guy. I guess was we'll staying there. And t- so if you go over to Tudor, they could maybe get you in, you know, tell, tell him, mm-hmm. give my name, whatever. And I said, Why do I get there? Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out, like, if yeah. I was a person who really... And, oh, you can walk. Mm-hmm. That's a long walk from downtown. I mean, that was... Especially if... Even for, like, an able-bodied person, that's like a few miles... It's, like, probably three or four miles. Right.
1: Uh, you asked about... Emergency winter shelter. The health department's taking the lead on that right now. They, I was going
0: to ask, are you are you worried about winter?
1: I'm actually encouraged uh, because they put out an RFI to hotels who you know, to see who would be interested in, um, like we did last year with the Aviator and the Alex Hotel and, and some others. And they got a good response. It sounds like they have uh, a lot of units lined up ready to go. Um, and, and that's a, a non-congregate model, which I think is better, again, than putting up to 500 people in one location like we did with the Sullivan Arena. Um, also, the health department is looking at a couple different locations for uh, low-barrier shelter for the winter, and I think their, their goal is to have around 150 capacity. Um, and then in the meantime, we also continue the work of the Clean Slate strategy. Um, we, we have come up with a criteria to say, here here are the types of locations where a low-barrier shelter Should be able to work, right? Because one of the things that we deal with is everybody recognizes the need for shelter, but nobody wants it near them, right? And nimby's. Well, yeah, (laughs) I don't like to use that word, but but yes, I just
0: I just heard a funny story. Somebody was in Colorado, a friend of mine, and they said they have something in Colorado called um uh nimbus. Oh, I forget the acronym, but it's not in my second backyard, Mm. and it's these people who have like condos and like vacation homes. They didn't even live there. Right. But it's not in my n- n- nimbuses, I guess. Not in my second backyard. at <laughs> you know. Nice. And there's, there's that, that's just an aside. I just heard about that. And it's like, wow, that's, that's the next level. NIMBY. Yeah, geez.
1: Um. So anyway, you know, some of these town hall conversations, we would be hearing this feedback and people would say, well, you shouldn't put low barrier shelter close to neighborhoods or residences. Okay. You also shouldn't put them close to businesses. I want to feel safe at work, so don't put them ne- close to businesses. This is a
0: Zach Fields uh then don't Chugach put it you know, And also is, don't put them next that? to I don't know. He wrote a letter here in 2019. And he said, We have plenty of space in the Chugach. We did oh. a satire about it, but he's like, We got we got all the space in the park, Chugach State Park.
1: Well, people would say don't put it next to green spaces or trails <laughs> or parks or or schools. And you go through this whole list and, and then you end up it's like, okay, well, where then where are we gonna put it? We all know we need it. Where are we gonna put it? So now we have this kind of checklist and we have this criteria. And I think that'll be helpful to screen locations that are brought forward. And I know that the health department is looking at some locations right now. We can screen them through this criteria, which will allow us to say, okay, no, this is not a good candidate because of X, Y, Z, but it will also allow us to say, yes, this is a good candidate because it meets this criteria. And even if we hear, you know, pushback from Mm -hmm. different parts of the community, we can say, no, we, we passed this criteria. This meets this, um, these expectations. And so, um, that work is continuing, um, and then, you know, I, I do want to talk about sort of like you said, the um, compassionate but tough. And and for me, I think we just need to get to the place where we have enough capacity, we have enough housing and shelter, where then we can... Um, you know, enforce some of our laws when it comes to to camping and, um, you know, I want people to have the resources that they, that they need. I, I do believe that having stable housing drives the the most positive health outcomes, but I also want our parks and our trails to be healthy environments. Well, that's
0: structured. the thing, I mean, and, you know, I, you mentioned about homelessness isn't necessarily means criminality, which, which I agree with, but, you know, there's also, we have rules about where you can camp and where yeah. you can't, and I have a lot of friends I've talked to who just are mostly women are afraid to use the trails, mm-hmm. you know, if they have kids, there's needles, people. And it's just, it's just, we can't, we have to live in a place where people can go to the parks and go to the trails and not yeah. be scared. I agree. And, and a not, lot of, not be uh, unco- you know, made uncomfortable.
1: You know, some of the larger camps, there's a lot of um, ecological damage that happens. You know, there's also things like, like needles and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, I think we, we have a long way to go, and I acknowledge that. And my district is, I, w- I would argue, is the one that is
0: facing that most acutely. You, you, know. you have that Third Avenue, right? Is that you? Yep. Yeah.
1: And Davis Park, like like you mentioned, also the Chester now, Creek Greenbelt.
0: What do you think? I mean, to me, it seems like, you know, with winter coming up, there's the things you talked about. There's really no don't know, long-term thing. How much of this is really going to depend on the mayoral election and what happens there? Because we know somebody's going to be elected mayor in April and, or May with runoff, and I would say Bronson has a real, real hard time. I mean, he's got a real hard time at re-election. So, you know, yeah. we got you know Suzanne LaFrance and Chris Tug, Bill Pop's getting in, you got the mayor. Yeah. So how much of this is just like, well, let's see who is the new mayor and then we'll, we'll start really going at that point. Mm,
1: I think the assembly is going to continue our work no matter what, because we don't know what the outcome is going to be, right? Um, so we're going to keep working on finding a location for low-barrier shelter, you know, our our goal was to have something online by November 1st. I don't know if that's going to happen. We've kind of pivoted to making the winter shelter thing happen first, and then we'll we'll kind of go back to that clean slate um, stuff. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, it is interesting to think about. I, I I don't I don't know if it's as dangerous for Bronson uh, um, as you know as you've just said, because I don't see another conservative candidate who has said that they're going to run. I think having the vote split potentially between Suzanne and Chris Tuck and and Bill Pop is.
0: um, I I, I just think when it comes down to it um, and and you're right right now, there's no other conservative, there there might be, there might not be, but when it comes, when it comes to the campaign and we're not seeing any of this yet, but come like February, March, the ballots go out. Mm -hmm. And then if there's a runoff, if Bronson's in the runoff, um, when it comes to like the, the snow plowing, this Joe Gerace guy they put in there that was just like George, George yeah. Santos, the yeah. Stars of David, the Amy Domboski, the the, 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 the the number of things to go after him on right. are are basically unlimited. And when that shit starts coming out by the opponents, by the third-party groups, by the independent group, I mean, that's going to be a bloodbath. So I just, I don't know. I just, I, I, I think you never know what's going to happen in these elections. I mean, right. Trump won, you know, all these things can, you know, we don't know. But... Mm-hmm. I just think he's going to have a – I mean, it's going to be a nasty race, and he's going to have a really, really hard time, I'd say, getting above 35%. Mm. But, but then there's a runoff. You know, who gets to the runoff, and then what, what happens then? But, yeah. I mean, he barely beat Dunbar. Uh, we're talking right. about a few percent. That's a good point. And it was only over, really, South Anchorage and Eagle River. <clears throat> and, and that was after the Berkowitz thing, and I think that bled, bled into Dunbar's candidacy. Mm. That was They were kind of you know tied together, and there mm. was this whole thing with um, – a Q D being, made. I mean, I just think people were just all those factors, yeah, caused a lot of people to say, "I'm voting for this guy," you know. But right. no one knew him then there at was all. A lot going on. Well, that's and now true. they know him. Now that's they re- now we all know him.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, um, you know, Jeff, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and uh, I think for that's me, why I
0: get paid the big bucks. <laughs> which is, let me be honest, yeah. not big bucks. Okay, yeah, I'm, right. I'm still working on the big bucks. We're yeah. Well, look, I mean,
1: I'm supporting Suzanne. I've worked with her. Um, uh, very uh, fortunate to. Um, have had her as a colleague, I think she has the experience that is needed to really hit the ground running. She she knows what's broken and knows how to fix it. Um, and I think she brings like a really rational um, approach. You know, she's very collegial. Uh, I think really, two people saw her evolution during the pandemic of, of when she was chair. And at first, I think, you know, a lot of you know, one of the things that we try to be conscious of um, as the assembly, right, when we have the, this disruptive behavior in the chambers is people do have their First Amendment rights, and you really have to be very careful about stepping on that. Um, but you also have to maintain decency and decorum and, and, and control. Well, you have meeting. to
0: do, do your, do your do, run the meeting. You have to do the right. business. It needs yep. to be done. You know.
1: And I think you saw, the, for a while, I, I think the assembly didn't really know, like, it was sort of unprecedented, right, how disruptive people were um, and some of the vitriol. But you, you saw Suzanne make this shift where she started, uh, like when people were raising um, superfluous Robert's Rules of Order motions, right? Um, you know, somebody would say, well, point of order. And, she's, and then she would ask the question and she would say, okay, well, what rule do you believe has been broken,
0: yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and it
1: just it threw people off their guard and through it all. She just stayed very measured, um, but I think she really grew in strength and and. Um, I,
0: mean, I, I I can see that. I do feel like at some at some point she was maybe a bit timid and just did, didn't. I mean, obviously it's hard to control that kind of thing. But um, you know, I remember talking to Dick Trainey and, and we had an interview a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. you know when he was chair, he wouldn't put up with anything. Like mm-hmm. even Elvie too. Elvie would not put up with that shit, mm-hmm. and and we saw it kind of starting with let's go back a long time when Felix was chair and they were like letting people like lay down and, Mm. and, you know, it was just really, uh, they started to kind of lose that, but that, but that was kind of the progressive more progressive protesters. And then, then it got to the other side where it was these other people that were the Save Anchorage types that were just, I mean, causing a, and then, but then it got to be, everybody was causing problems. Right. And I mean, it seems to be a lot better now. It's actually a little more boring. The meetings are normal.
1: That's that's the joke, right? Is uh, let's make Anchorage boring again.
0: I think Chris Constant has been have been yeah. saying that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So no, I, you know, I, I think um, all that to say, I think uh, Suzanne's a really strong leader, and has had you know she's she's storm tested going through all of that process, and she just knows how how the municipality should function. She got relationships in all the different departments. Um,
0: well, it's 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 gonna be a really it'll be wild election. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna start. It's gonna really kick off, and I guess the filings and deadlines in January, and right. the, and then from you know. Til, till till March, I mean March, mm-hmm. the ballots go. Out. It's going to be, and, and there's, I mean, ninety nine percent going to be a runoff. It's not going to be. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see Bronson getting forty five. I, I just don't. <laughs> Especially with other people who are going to be actively campaigning. Mm-hmm. If it was, if it was heads up, I, you know, or maybe three or four, or two real candidates. I mean, even then, difficult. But right. but there's definitely going to be a runoff, and then that's gonna that's gonna be. That's quick. That's like a month, you know, that's going to be a second. Re- Great for the landmine folks. If you're listening and you want to buy an ad, we, we sell those things. <laughs> there you go. We used to get Ursa Op- Maybe you want to come back here optical, <laughs> put you on the spot, you know, come, come back I on. That, that
1: might be a conflict at this point. I
0: don't know. Oh man. No, no, These are, no, no. These are very separate. These are very separate things. Yeah.
1: You know, at the end of the day, um, no matter who is mayor, um, the assembly has our work cut out for us, and we got we have to continue that hard work. Um, we got lots of new colleagues, which has been awesome. It's been yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's like
0: yeah. five of twelve yeah. just got elected last um, April, and
1: they're they're all doing great. It's been fun working with Anna Brawley and Karen Branga and George Martinez and Zach Johnson and Gosh, let's see who else is new. I feel like I'm missing somebody.
0: Anna, Karen, Zach, George, and. Uh we missing there east i think it would be no two east oh um eagle river guy oh scott yeah, yeah. scott yeah and he's scott myers who yeah. would not come on our debate we had to get a cardboard yeah what we're, the heck we're, scott. Co- we're collecting we have a cardboard cutout now of bronson uh scott and then that guy from downtown true blood right <laughs> yeah you know i really, I, I, uh, I i wish some like progressive or democrat people would would start not showing up because we're collecting all these republican you know cardboard right. cutouts which which running out of room I and mean, we're going to start storing these. Yeah. These are big cutouts. These aren't tiny.
1: I've seen. Yeah. 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 No, it's been, I think um, it's been really fun to work with, uh, you know, even my conservative colleagues, Kevin, um, you know, we were on that project that repealed parking minimums in Anchorage. He's very pro housing, pro development, pro growth. Well, he um,
0: got attacked by the right hard on this zoning ordinance yeah, would propose, which is like, it's clear we need to make housing building easier. And, yeah. and he tries to do that. And, mm-hmm. The whole, you know, machine of Suzanne Downing and Naboski and Procaro, they just, this is some really nasty stuff about that guy, you know?
1: You know, people get really fearful um, of change. I think when, you know, a a home is someone's biggest asset, right? And when it comes to the the idea of their neighborhood changing a lot. My personality is my biggest asset. That's what, there you go. Um, But I I think I I don't necessarily think it's a political thing. I think that there's both conservatives and progressives who are very leery of the idea of of changing zoning or that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I I don't know. One thing that's very interesting is everyone was so um, they paid such close attention to the zoning bomb ordinance with with uh, Kevin and Meg Zolotel mm-hmm. teaming up to um, weren't, so you, weren't
0: you on there too or no?
1: I was f- there for the S version. So I joined them as a co-sponsor, but I brought, so we have a new ordinance. That one was postponed indefinitely. And we have a new ordinance called the Home Initiative, which instead of consolidating uh, all of the residential zones to either two or one zoning district, will consolidate them to five. And that was, kind of birthed. Oh, fuck. oh God. Well, let me explain. Oh, so Jesus. it was birthed out of a counter proposal that I brought to their work session. And I said, you guys, we have this great um, adopted plan called the 2040 land use plan that already has five residential land designations. And then the zonings are kind of subcategories of that. So why don't we just, if we're going to you know, consolidate zoning let's just do them to the existing land use designations that are already mapped in the 2040 land use plan. And that can give, uh, Anchorage residents so, some sort of like reassurance that so they can look at the map and see how they're going to be impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be single and two family homes, large lot residential, which is a lot of like the hillside or Eagle river, or actually, sorry, we're exempting uh, Eagle river and Girdwood cause they have their own comp plans. But, um, uh, anyway, large lot residential, um, compact mixed residential low, compact mixed residential medium, and then urban high. And so what we can do is we can consolidate to those existing land use designations, and then we can go in and we can say, okay, now those are the new zones instead of 15. We have 15.
0: I know, zones. it's insane. It's it just nuts. Insane. I mean, look, look at the valley, how they're building. They're booming in the valley because yep. they, they, they make it simple.
1: So let's simplify and let's give a little bit more flexibility, right? But um, once we have those zones consolidated, then we can go back and we'll do a full public process. We'll go through P and Z and we'll say, okay, now what are the dimensional and design standards for each zone? What are the building heights? What are the setbacks? What are, you know, we're not going to throw all of the Title 21. Um, dimensional and design standards out, we're just going to revise them, maybe make them a little bit more flexible, a little bit more universal. Um, One thing that our approach, the home initiative would do would be um, to effectively, we're looking at effectively eliminating single family zoning and allowing a duplex to be built by right anywhere in Anchorage. I myself live in a, in a duplex in South Edition.
0: I think you were uh, renting renting part of that out. I saw a post recently. Yep. yep. Did you find, find a renter?
1: I did. I found... Uh, well,
0: Did you have like 50 people apply in like two days, I'm guessing? You know,
1: I didn't. I, I think so crazy I, had, I had like four or five people reach out. I found uh, there's a young married couple that are moving here from from New York, and he's going to be clerking for one of the judges. So they signed a year lease. And because I live in a duplex in a really uh, cute little neighborhood, um, three young professionals, you know, myself and, and the and these two new tenants um, will be able to live in a desirable neighborhood, close to downtown, close to our work. And so for me, I would love to see more small multifamily. Um, I'm also working on an ordinance right now with Randy Sultan, Kevin Cross, to make it easier to permit and build triplex and fourplex, to treat them more in line with how we treat single family and duplex.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what we talked. Kevin was on the podcast a while back, and it was like, once you get to after duplex, it gets real difficult.
1: You've got to do an I mean, on-site all traffic com- circulation. bigger than threeplex makes it. Yeah. Then
0: he was talking about some example of like they did this triplex. I think it was a triplex or fourplex, or I forget the specifics. But they made him. They made the. It wasn't him. It was a builder he knew. But they made him spend like all this money, like huge money, like half a million bucks or something, on like a road and like all this, like redoing the road. And then like a year later, like they tore up the entire fucking road They redid it. They yep. redid it. You know, like what is that? It's pretty frustrating. And then who pays that? You know, who pays for that? The people who are buying the house, right? Are living in the house. And how can Anchorage be a, a good
1: business partner when it comes to building housing? You know, we uh, the ADN just published an article yesterday about how Alaska just saw just saw its biggest increase ever in rental rates, seven percent. And in Anchorage, it was five percent. So rental rates are going up. Um, housing stock is is short. We we are in a housing crisis. And so I think we do need to take some bold policy actions and involve the community in that process. Um, But the time to, to act really is now because if we want to be a place that attracts young working professionals or um, families to to live here in Anchorage um, they have to be able to afford housing and that's also directly related to everything what we were talking about with homelessness
0: well, like i said the valley the valley's figured that out because yep. like half the houses last year in the mm-hmm. whole state 52% were built in the built in the Matsu Valley
1: now what i don't want to do is throw the safety baby out with the overregulation bathwater so I'm glad that Anchorage has our strong building codes you know when it comes to life and safety um, as part of that uh, that triplex, fourplex ordinance, we've had really robust conversations, a working group involving the planning department, building officials, um, some local developers, uh, fire inspectors, traffic department. Um, and so uh, the, the fire inspectors are kind of helping us understand, um, you know, sprinklers and like what t- what type of sprinklers would, would maybe still um, provide the, the fire safety needed, but be less expensive, that kind of stuff. So it, it's been... Um, Great conversations that we've been having. I'm excited to see that that legislation move forward.
0: Well, it's been great talking to you, Dr. Dan. We've Thank covered you Jeff. a lot of topics here. Last question yes or no? Kinnick Arm Bridge, go. No. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll talk about that one next time. That sounds good. That's, I'm, a, I'm a big, as you know, I'm a big. I do know. I'm, yes. I'm the Kinnick Arm Bridge guy. Uh-huh. So, folks, if you're listening, you can come. Actually, it's bizarre. I got somebody in Seattle start. I, they must have read something I wrote, or huh. he's been pitching me this TA. I don't know whatever number this huge like massive um not bold um dumpster that, that's I don't know probably cost 20 million dollars and he's okay. like this is like this is a thing we to do the deal this is what you need and he's like I'm like why like why tell me I mean, and he's trying to get me to like pitch it to it's like bizarre you know this, wow. this I'll, I'll show you the emails it's it's okay. just a really f- insane looking machine with a big what do you call that? Like a scoop, you know, like a,
1: like a backhoe
0: ki- kind of, but like, but like insane level. And it's oh. supposed to be to build, you know, dredge and to, and it's like the, it's like the, I don't know, TA 10,000. To build the bridge. Oh yeah. So yeah. he's, he's, he's like emailing me and I'm, I'm kind of like, dude, you're talking like, I'm not, the, yeah. I'm, I ain't the guy. I don't think you want to be Im-
1: importing those Seattle ideas up here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, next time we'll talk about the bridge. Dr. Daniel Voland, uh, Anchorage assembly member and owner of Ursa Optical. If you have a, Folks, I'm not getting paid for this, but if 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 you if you have any eye problems, if your eyes are hurt and you need to check up, you know if you're worried about your color vision, I mean you need to go see Doctor Dan at Earth's mm-hmm. Optical. That's where I go. That's where I get my glasses. I'm very pleased with Earth's Optical, downtown Anchorage. Great location. How, how do I do? How do I do? Appreciate I do? that. Not getting paid. You, no, actually, actually, not. actually, I'm paying you. Make
1: it very clear. Nobody's paying anybody. I pay you for my yeah, a, for my as a client for yes. my exam
0: and my glasses. I got yeah, That's true. And, and by the way, I got a second pair last time I was there. You did. A little bit, basically the same thing, but now I got my backup here, which yeah. I
1: love In case that. You break one, yep.
0: So, not getting paid. Not yet, right? Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dr. Dan, thanks again for coming on. Great, great conversation. We talked about a lot of good topics and uh, really enjoyed that. We yeah, um, appreciate the opportunity. We have a nice day here, so we'll get it's some some day left. Yeah. You have a great day, Dr. Dan. We'll, we'll talk to you next time. Cool. Sounds good. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, uh, get hold of me or stay tuned for the next one. Landline.